you're here. The wind probably blew you in this morning, but that's uh, okay. The Lord is good. His mercy endures forever. So let's um, let's turn to John chapter three. Let's read the first uh, ten verses. Now there was a man of the Jews of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you a teacher in Israel, and yet you do not know these things? So we've been... For the last couple of weeks, looking at this passage um, about this man named Nicodemus, who was a a ruler and a teacher among the Jewish people there in Jerusalem. We've come to verse 4, and just as a brief review, which wasn't stated beforehand or before this, that that Nicodemus' words to Jesus in verse 4 are sometimes difficult to understand or difficult to decipher. He says, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? He would have obviously known that that was an impossibility, as we all do. So what exactly does he mean by this question? And there are several possibilities of what Nicodemus could have been asking and how he asked it. One possibility is that Nicodemus was objecting to Jesus' words because it would mean that he had to start all over. Rejecting his religious system. And that would have meant, for Nicodemus, that would have meant forsaking his entire life's career. Imagine if you had worked your whole life 
to get to a certain place and someone comes along and says, well, you've got to forsake all that to have this. In his mind, he might have been saying, I, I, I've come too far. I, how, can I, how can I start over? I can't start over. Look how far I've come. Look, look to the level. Look at the level that I've progressed to. I'm an old man. I can't give it all up. I'm, I'm too old to change now. You ever heard those things said? I've heard it said countless times by people who just could not see their way to forsake themselves and all that they have in order to have Christ. It could have been what he was saying. A second possibility is that he, his answer was made from a point of skepticism which sprung from the bewilderment of thinking that he had to be born a second time. How does that happen? In other words, his answer could have been a very crass type of answer, crude and uh, rude, with a degree of scorn. That's a possibility. Third possibility is that Nicodemus was simply being insulting. Now, we don't, we don't generally think of his words as insulting. But it's possible that he was saying something like, what in the world are you talking about? How can a person be born and go into his mother's womb a second time? That's ridiculous. Can you hear him saying that? It's a possibility. Whatever Nicodemus meant... When he asked this question, it is certain that he didn't understand the truth about the new birth. He didn't understand. Whether his words were from a, whether his words were meant or coming from a religious idea of how he has to give up everything or whether they were scorn or whether they were an insult, we don't truly know. But one thing we do know is that he did not understand what it meant to be born again. Jesus saw the confusion in Nicodemus' mind and heart and so begins to clarify. And he clarifies all the way down through verse 8. The first clarification is given to us in verse 5. Where he says, truly, truly, or I am telling you the absolute honest truth. I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now he changes the word from seeing the kingdom of God to entering. Let's make, I want to make myself clear, Jesus is saying, you cannot enter Unless you are born of water and the Spirit. Mm. That statement has, that statement of verse 5 has been a source of confusion and misunderstanding for many. 
And there are varying interpretations as to what Jesus meant when he said these words. Jesus, again, assures Nicodemus that he's telling him the truth. And so Jesus, as God incarnate, could do no less than to tell him the truth, for God cannot lie. And so it is an undeniable truth that he is giving him. His words can be counted on to endure even into eternity. That's how trustworthy they are. I think one interesting fact here is that Jesus said that when Jesus said he must be born again, Nicodemus didn't ask, why must I be born again? He asked, how? How can I be born again when I'm old? This is sort of on par with what with the questions that the Jews asked Jesus back in chapter 2, verse, verses 19 and 20, when they said, Jesus answered, destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up. The Jews then said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you're going to raise it in three days? What is missing there is the laughter and the jeering and the sarcasm Can't you just see the Jews laughing, scorning as they ask that question? (laughs) You're going to raise it up in three days and it took 46 years to build? Did Nicodemus laugh when Jesus told him this truth? We don't know exactly how this was said, but we do know that he didn't understand. So Jesus explains in terms of, That he can understand. The real problem with this passage is the phrase born of water and of the spirit. That's that's the part that is unsure in the minds of many. And Jesus is essentially saying the same thing that he said in verse 3 when he said, Truly I say, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He is saying the same thing, but with a little further clarification. There are many different interpretations. The ones that I'm going to give you this morning are not all of them. But let's look at a few, try to unpack it a little bit and see if we can understand just what Jesus meant here. First of all, some teach that being born of water is referring to water baptism. This, if that's true, that would make this statement mean Baptismal regeneration, in other words, saying that God uses baptism to regenerate people. That is, baptism then would become a saving act. If that were true, why does the rest of the passage never mention baptism again? It doesn't. We can see 
that the work of the Spirit is there in verse 8, verse 14 to 16, and the work of the Spirit again in chapter 20, verse 22. We can see the work of the Son here in verses 14 and 15. We see the work of God the Father Himself in verses 15 and 16, but no mention at all about baptism. If baptism were the important ingredient for salvation to become a reality, wouldn't you think that Jesus would would settle on that? And yet he does not. The clear teaching of Scripture is that that baptism is a testimony to salvation, not a prerequisite for it. It is a sign of what has already taken place in the heart. Even the passages like Ephesians 2 verses 8 and 9 that we all know so well speak nothing of baptism. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Not baptism, faith. And this is not your own doing. Even the faith that we have we can't say was our own doing. This is the gift of God, not a result of works. Why? So that no one can boast. If baptism brought salvation and we stand before God, what would we say? Hmm, Look, Lord, I was baptized. You see what I did? And we would boast of it. Now, don't, don't be thinking in your mind, well, I wouldn't boast. Yes, you would. Anything we can take credit for, we would take credit for. But God has made it so that we can't take credit for anything. So that there'll be no boasting. It'll all be Him or it'll be nothing. All or nothing. Titus 3, 5, He saved us not by works, because of works we have done in righteousness, but according to His own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. So you're hard-pressed to make water in this passage believer's baptism or water baptism. Second, there are some that say that being born of water is speaking of physical birth. This interpretation teaches that there are two births mentioned in this passage. One is a physical birth. And one is a spiritual birth. And we don't have any problem, we don't have any problem realizing that those two exist. Obviously, people who exist on the earth were born physically, and they have to be born spiritually in order to see or enter God's kingdom. However, the word Anothen, as we spoke of a week or so ago, that word meaning from above makes that interpretation difficult. There is only one birth mentioned here, and it is the birth that is from above. It is true that natural physical birth Babies in the womb are enclosed in uh, a sac that is filled with ambiotic fluid. 
Some call it water. It's not exactly water, but that's the terminology that's used. But ancient people did not describe birth in this way. The word water is not used in any way else in Scripture to speak of physical birth. Nicodemus would not have understood the use of water in that way because it wasn't used that way in that time. If this were the explanation that Jesus wanted him to grasp, that got to be born physically, then you got to be born spiritually, if that was what he was trying to get across to him, why waste words on that which is so evident that it need not be mentioned? I personally don't think that this is what Jesus is talking about. If one, you know, one, you can't be saved if you don't exist. So existence is a, existence is a given. There is a third possibility. Actually, there are two more I'm going to give you. Third possibility is far more plausible. That being born of water is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. Many who hold this view use John chapter 7, verses 37 to 39 as a proof text. Turn over there. Let's look at it. John 7, verses 37 to 39. It says, On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Now that those words would have visualized in the mind, those words would have brought about the thought of drinking water. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Pretty obvious that Jesus is using water here as a symbol of the Holy Spirit. Now this he said about the Spirit. There it is. He's talking about the Holy Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus had not yet been glorified. And so, this verse looks forward to a time in the future when the Holy Spirit would come and fill and inhabit those whom God would redeem. In this text, verse 7, or chapter 7, proponents link water and the Spirit as being the same thing. The same thing is is true of verse 5. They link it as being the same thing. So some would translate the word and, where he says, born of water and the Spirit, Some would translate that with the words, that is. Born of water, that is the Spirit. 
So water in this respect becomes a metaphor for the Spirit of God. And it's certainly used that way in other portions of Scripture. John chapter 10, or chapter 4, verse 10, Jesus answered the woman at the well, If you knew the gift of God and who it is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Obviously, using water as a symbol of the Spirit of God. He said to her in verse 13, everyone who drinks this water, speaking of the water she was dipping out of the well, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water I give him will be a, a, become a, in him a spring of water welling up into eternal life. She wanted that water. So water, being born of water and of the Spirit, they're saying it's the same, the same thing. The last view, and also another very plausible view, is that the word water is the Word of God. In this view... The word water is used as a symbol of the word. Water has a cleansing effect. It is what we wash ourselves in to become clean physically. We see this in other places in scripture used as a symbol of the word. Uh, Quite a a few actually. Actually. Uh, I'll give you a couple. Titus 3, verse 5. This is what it says. <clears throat> he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration, and get this now, renewal of the Holy Spirit. So the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Spirit coincide and become the water becomes a symbol of that. Here's another scripture that is even more pointed toward the word. Ephesians 5 verse 26. When Paul says that when Christ comes, he will receive his church to himself, his bride. And it says that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Water with the word. So the cleansing effect of the word of God, water, is a symbol of that. Remember that it is the word of God that the Holy Spirit uses to bring about the new birth. We are born again by the word of the living God Through the Spirit. In fact, Jesus told His disciples that they were clean because they had been washed by His words. John chapter 15, verse 3. Already? He says, already you are clean because, how? Because of the word that I have spoken to you. In other words, Jesus spoke God's words to His disciples and the word that He spoke cleansed them. 
James chapter 1 verse 18. Of his own will, he brought us forth. How? By the word of truth. Those words brought us forth are equal to being born again. How did he do it? By the word of truth. So when you put these two things together, we can see then that the written word of God together with the work of the Holy Spirit is the means, becomes the means by which God rebirths his people. I personally think that verse 5, the water is the word of God. I really don't have much of a problem with those who think that it's a symbol of the Spirit. But I think the Spirit uses the Word. In fact, people are not saved apart from the Word of God. No one is saved apart from the Word. And when the Word of God is spoken, it is the Spirit that uses that Word in the hearts of people to bring about life. And so that's why the Apostle Paul says that it pleased God through the foolishness of preaching, through the proclamation of the Word of God to save those who believe. They are reborn through no other effort than the preached Word of God. That's all it takes. This is what the Spirit uses to convict people of sin To convict them of righteousness and judgment. To warn them that judgment is coming. Jesus plainly told his disciples this in John 16. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go away, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world. Concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. This is what the Spirit does. But He does it through the Word exclusively. Would Nicodemus have understood the connection between the water and the Word and the work of the Holy Spirit? Well, he should have connected some passages from the Old Testament that would have given him that clue. It's obvious that he didn't. Passages like Numbers chapter 19. Turn turn back there with me. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Numbers chapter 19. Speaking of of the cleansing of God's people, this is Israel, this is what he says. Verse 17, 1917. For the unclean, they shall take some ashes of the burnt sin offering, and fresh water shall be added in a vessel. Then a clean person shall take hyssop and dip it into the water and sprinkle it on the tent and all the furnishings and on the person's who are there and 
on whoever touched the bone or slain to be the dead or of the grave. In other words, if people touched those things that were unclean, they had to be made clean. Water was a part of that cleansing. Verse 19. And the clean person shall sprinkle it on the unclean and on the third day and on the seventh day. And thus on the seventh day he shall cleanse him. And he shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water. And at the evening he shall be clean. Nicodemus should have thought about these things from the law. Isaiah chapter 44. Verse 3, God says, I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your offspring, my blessings on your descendants. I will pour water on the ground and it will bring forth life. And my spirit will use that water. If you take the word of God out of the equation, you don't have salvation. You have no new birth. Isaiah chapter 55 verse 1. Come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Come to the water. Zechariah 13, verse 1. On that day there shall be a fountain opened for the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and uncleanness. It's the word of God. I personally think that's what he's talking about. I think all these passages are symbolic of the word being poured out through the Spirit But if there was one passage that Nicodemus should have remembered, as a teacher in Israel, it should have been this one, Ezekiel 36, chapter, verse 25 to 27. Ezekiel 36. Listen to what it says. God says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean from all your uncleanness. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit and I will pour it within you. So does that sound like the new birth? It surely does. A new heart? One that is a heart of flesh instead of a heart of stone? And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will pour, I will put my spirit within you. And cause you to walk in my statutes. See the statutes are there. So that you can carefully obey my rules. God gave us his word. He empowers that word through his spirit. To cleanse us. To bring us to life. To cleanse us. And to cause us to walk in his ways. For not for the word we would not know where to walk or how. Nicodemus should have known all of these Old Testament passages. The lights should have gone on in his mind. But Jesus even questions his acumen as a teacher of Israel. You're a teacher of Israel? You don't know these things? Whatever whatever one's view takes here, 
with the exception of water baptism, whatever view one takes, the end result is that being born of water and of the Spirit is equal to being born again. There is only one birth that's talked about here, and that's the birth that comes from above. John Phillips writes, Whatever the words mean, they had a meaning that Nicodemus could appreciate, apprehend, and appropriate. The Lord was not trying to be mystical or obtuse. He was trying to lead Nicodemus into the experience of the new birth. The Lord was answering the question, how? He was not concealing the truth, but revealing truth. Now, this wasn't necessarily a demand to Nicodemus. It was more, he wasn't trying to force Nicodemus into into an experience of the new birth, but rather he was simply giving him the message of what it must happen in order to have the kingdom of God as one's own. He was giving him the warning. You can't enter unless you're born again. And whether one enters the kingdom of God or not is a serious matter. And the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven are essentially the same, according to Matthew chapter 5. It is so serious that much of the scripture revolves around this idea listen to the warnings that scriptures that the scripture gives to get a better sense of the gravity involved of entering the kingdom or not Matthew chapter 5 verse 20 I'm going to go through them quickly you don't need to follow necessarily for I say to you unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees you will not enter the kingdom So there had to be a righteousness that was more than the Pharisees had. Matthew chapter 7 verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Matthew chapter 18 verse 3. Truly, truly, Jesus said, unless you are converted and become like little children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Unless you have that faith that a little child has. Matthew chapter 19, verse 23. And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again I say, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom. Why? Because they generally trust in their riches. Matthew 23, verse 13. But woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites. You shut off the kingdom of heaven from people, for you do not enter in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. Mark chapter 9, verse 47. If your eye causes you to stumble, throw it out. 
tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom with one eye than having two eyes and be cast into hell. Mark chapter 10. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it at all. Mark 10 verse 23. And Jesus looking around said to his disciples, how hard will it be for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God? How hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. Truly, Luke eighteen seventeen. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it. Over and over, Jesus warns people. Even when you, even when you get to Acts. Acts chapter 14, verse 22. Paul and Barnabas went and strengthened the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. All of these warnings were given by Christ and the apostles on the severity and the difficulty of entering the kingdom by one's own efforts. Without the new birth, no one can enter the kingdom of God. This then is the same message that we preach as we witness and preach to others. We don't force people into the kingdom. You can't coerce them into the kingdom. You can't make up their minds for them and get them into the kingdom. You can't tell them to live a certain way to get them into the kingdom. There's only one way to get in. And that's through the new birth. And so we warn people that they cannot be part of it without a new heart. Without repentance of sin. Without faith in Christ alone. Paul writes in Colossians 1.28. We proclaim him we proclaim. Christ we proclaim. Warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. That's what we do. We just warn them. We just tell them. We give them the word of God. And then the spirit of God takes that word. And goes to work. MacArthur writes, without the spiritual washing of the soul, a cleansing accomplishment only by the Holy Spirit, through the word of God, no one can enter God's kingdom. I've said it before. There is a a teaching among evangelical Christians that says that even heathens in Places far away, islands of the sea, mountains of, of countries, deep forest and jungles. That they can be saved if they just acknowledge that the, there is a supreme person or a supreme being that created all of this. They can come to the knowledge of the truth and be saved as a result of that. And that is a lie. No one is saved by looking up at the stars and saying, hmm. Looks like a lot of order here. That doesn't save people. 
or looking at a, a plant with all of its intricate design or an animal. There's only one way people are saved. And that's through the Word of God. By the Spirit of God using that Word. These are not matters of time and space, but of eternity and either pardon or punishment. We need to take them very seriously. And we need to pray that God would send His Word abroad. For it is only the Word that brings forth life in people or solidifies death. In people. If it brings forth life, God is glorified in the life that is brought forth. If it brings forth death, God is glorified in the justice that prevails. Our job? Simply give the word. Sow the seed. Tell the truth. Don't pull any punches. People are dying. Hell is real. The Word of God is the answer. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the scripture that you have given us, the truth of it, and Lord, that it would be, that it would be branded to our hearts and lives that we would remember that it's only the word that came to us that brought us life through the Spirit. It's the only reason we were saved is that we heard the word of God and your spirit, your spirit brought us to life and we responded to it. Father, I pray that you would remind us that without the word, we would be still lost and without any hope. And so we thank you for Jesus' words to Nicodemus. And we ask that you would make them ring in our hearts as we deal with family and friends and those that we meet to give warning that judgment is coming, that there is a sin problem, there is a righteousness problem, and that judgment is real. And we pray that we would point them to Christ as the only one who can save them. And bring them out of that judgment into life and forgiveness and pardon. We thank you for your mercy and for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.